one program that we're tracking on behalf of our industrial clients that would have a really big impact on how quickly they can scale their decarbonization projects is the Advanced Industrial Facilities Deployment Program. And this program will provide about $500 million in bipartisan infrastructure law funds and $5.8 billion through 2026 under the Inflation Reduction Act. Large sums of money have been earmarked by the EU and across EU countries to shield customers in general from the rising energy costs since this crisis unfolded. And some of that money is used in very targeted measures for those customers, being businesses or, or domestic customers that really need support. We learn when we listen. Welcome to Green Mike, an Edison Energy and Altonex Energy podcast, where we invite you into today's most compelling conversations happening in clean energy and sustainability. everyone. Welcome to Green Mike. My name is Shannon Holzer and I lead our policy team at Edison Energy. The policy team advises our clients on legislative and regulatory actions that may have a material and measurable impact on our clients' energy procurement and decarbonization decisions. I'm joined today by my colleague, Karen Kurbani, Manager of Regulatory Intelligence in Europe at Alpha Energy, an Edison Energy company. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Shannon. Today, we'll be discussing what policies and market trends we're watching in 2023 in Europe and North America, and how these changes may impact a corporation's energy procurement and sustainability strategy. To kick us off, Karen, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course, Shannon. Thank you. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm I'm Karen Kobani. I am currently working for Alpha Energy, which is an Edison Energy um, company in Europe, And I'm managing a team that um, advises our clients on any regulatory developments that are ongoing, either on a European level or a national level, which might impact in the short, medium or long term what they what they do and also impact our business in general. Thanks so much, Karen. And as highlighted in our Q4 2022 Renewable Market Report that just came out, I believe, last week in Europe, there's a patchwork of regulations to address high electricity prices and it's creating a lot of uncertainty for renewable project developers and is threatening PPA contracting. I was hoping you could give us a current status of what the government market interventions are and how they are securing energy supply and stabilizing prices in Europe. Yeah, I, I have to say it's definitely last year was unprecedented. I mean, we started off in 2022 with very low gas storage levels, then the tensions with Russia increased and prices started to increase uh, and also supply levels were, were impacted. And I think it's fair to say that the crisis touched everywhere. And whereas before we in the utility industry, you know, when we arrived at a dinner conversation and started to talk about what we do, and then we would get the blank faces and suddenly everybody heard something and, and knew something about it. So there was a lot of conversation going on and also a lot of um, regulations that came out from a, from a European level to give a little bit of ease in a situation. Um, in, initially, we had uh, some programs to increase the, the like security of supply, um, like for example the Repower EU program that was announced in May, I think it was, and 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 that was initially just to give a drive away from Russian fossil fuels and make sure that we've got affordable, secure, and sustainable energy in Europe, and that's overall with the with the overall aim of of increasing efficiency and also just alleviate the pressure on the energy system in, in the 
European Union. Um, we did then also see an, an agreement to minimum storage levels for gas ahead of the winter, and that uh, led to a lot of increased purchases in, in a lot of countries. So led also added fuel to the increasing prices, but also gas and electricity reduction targets were put in place from a European level just to make sure that security of supply in the winter can actually be um, insured. Then also towards the second part of the year, prices started to really get extremely volatile. So we did have some emergency measures put in place to reduce energy bills for customers. As part of an effort to finance this? We've seen a temporary revenue cap introduced, which you mentioned earlier, we discussed also in our renewable report recently, because that put a cap on the revenue that electricity producers could make, which reduced technologies with lower costs, such as renewables, nuclear, you know, wind, solar, all of these inframarginal producers. And that led to a little bit of uncertainty in the market, because while the European, on a European level, 180 euro per megawatt hour cap was introduced, then how that get applied in national laws varied greatly and, and caused a bit of instability at the moment from a purely longer term projects on, on this side of the market. And um, we also then towards the end of the year, we had some intervention on the gas exchange. So a maximum price for the for the TTF, the title transfer facility was put in place with quite a few caveats. So I'm not sure if we're going to see this with how the market levels are going at the moment, but it, it is there. And another thing that was put in place towards the end of last year is a program to accelerate how the permits for renewable projects um, will be granted in future. It's at the moment only in place for 18 months, but at least that should give new projects that are being built in that period a fast track um, process to, to get actually off the ground. The markets have stabilized recently, but as still at levels that make it ever more important to ensure that fitting procurement and risk management strategies are in place. Over the last year, we've seen different countries across Europe adapting measures to support and shield end customer customers through varying measures like price caps, reductions in non-commodity costs, other subsidies or tax credits. And why the support is out there? In most cases, it only covers a proportion of those cost increases, and it might only be available for certain customer groups or under certain conditions for a certain period of time. This increases the need, on the one hand, to stay on top of the available support at a local level, but also to effectively manage energy supply contracts and risk management strategies um, to ensure that they complement these measures. Understood. That's helpful context. And do you see these government support schemes sustainable, in your view? Ooh, sustainable is a, is, a, is a good word. I mean, a lot large sums of money have been earmarked by the EU and across EU countries to shield customers in general from the rising energy costs since this crisis unfolded. And some of that money is used in very targeted measures for those customers being businesses or, or domestic customers that really need support. Other schemes, they use the, you know, the watering can approach just purely for, for simplicity, which also means that some, some users will get support, even though it might not necessarily be required. Obviously, any support schemes that, that we're seeing at the moment, they should really help us with the long-term transition away from fossil fuels and, and to a more longer-term sustainable future where we have got that fairly stable market prices and, and a stable European energy market that does have enough supply at prices that people can actually pay. Hopefully, the, the measures that are in place now will actually lead us onto that journey rather than just 
masking the problem at the moment and helping right now. So hopefully there will be future proof for this transition. And I think we can probably see that crisis at the moment is a little bit of an accelerator of the sustainable net zero transition that Europe was going through anyway. We hopefully can make the benefits. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And for a lot of our global clients, there's been a lot of interest in how the Inflation Reduction Act here in the U.S., may facilitate a better alignment between the U.S. and European energy and climate goals, which is a huge step towards reducing our global energy emissions. And here in the U.S., one of the top priorities for Edison Energy and the Biden administration is rolling out the regulations on the Inflation Reduction Act. And the IRA, which was adopted by Congress this past summer, allocates approximately $370 billion in clean energy and climate investments. And so this historic law creates funding opportunities to tackle commercial and industrial clients, scope one, two, and three greenhouse gas emissions. And so here at Edison Energy, we're closely monitoring activities at the Department of Treasury, Department of Energy, and the Environmental Protection Agency to help advise our clients on how they can take advantage of these new funding opportunities for their decarbonization projects. And some of this tax guidance is already out And we're looking to see more trickle out um, this quarter. Our current assumption here is that the Treasury is going to focus on issuing guidance on domestic content requirements and for energy communities for the clean energy tax credits in this quarter. And then guidance around hydrogen production tax credit will come out later this year. And so one program that we're tracking on behalf of our industrial clients that would have a really big impact on how quickly they can scale their decarbonization projects is the Advanced Industrial Facilities Deployment Program. And this program will provide about $500 million in bipartisan infrastructure law funds and $5.8 billion through 2026 under the Inflation Reduction Act for projects that will reduce greenhouse gas emissions at industrial facilities. So the Office of Clean energy demonstrations at the Department of Energy anticipates this funding will approximately pay for 35 to 75 projects via a competitive financial assistance program to reduce those upfront costs for retrofits and upgrades to improve operation efficiency and reduce greenhouse gas emissions there. We're expecting the Department of Energy to release the funding opportunity announcement in late March of 2023 and award selected projects in late 2023. So at the federal level, the Inflation Reduction Act is like the big driver. We have a divided Congress right now. So making any big sweeping bills like the Inflation Reduction Act, that's pretty infeasible in 2023. But there does remain a bipartisan support and interest in passing laws on permitting issues and reshoring our energy supply chains. And on reshoring our energy supply chains, it seems like the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act is leading to a clean energy arms race to spur domestic manufacturing through these industrial policies like tax credits in the case of the United States. And so, Karen, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about the European Green Deal Industrial Plan that was published in early February. Mm -hmm, Of course, yeah. As you said, I think it's almost like an answer to the Inflation Reduction Act. That Green Deal Industrial Plan, it was announced at the beginning of of February, as you mentioned, and and it's almost adds on to a number of EU programs and initiatives that was already out, like the, we already had the, the Green Deal announced a few years ago. But this Green Deal industrial plan is really focusing on the net zero manufacturing capacity in Europe and to have green stills in the workforce and, and to make the most of this transformation that 
Europe and, and the globe is, is going through. What we have so far is the details of four key areas that the, that the plan will focus on. And if the first one is that we've got a predictable and simplified regulatory environment, that's a speed up to, to finance that will be available to businesses, enhancing those skills that we need for any net zero transition, and also open trade for our supply chains. So it, it should support the objective of the, of the European Green Deal. But there is also, say, at the moment with what has been published, there's not that much meat on the bones yet, not necessary facts and figures, and lots of details we're expecting to come out between now there's further discussions in February and in March, just to see how this will be put in practice. What we're expecting is that businesses across Europe that are supplying net zero products or that want to go on a net zero journey, they should benefit through opportunities to, to scale their operation. It should be, you know, having secure, affordable and sustainable energy supply and also the availability to invest in clean tech solutions to just reduce their environmental footprints if they want to. What we've heard already is from a regulatory perspective that there should be you know, a simplified environment so net, through a net zero industry act, which would support industrial manufacturing capacity and strategic, also multi-country projects with through faster permitting again and, and developing just European standards that can be used across the board. There's also, it also foresees for a critical raw materials act, just to make sure that anybody that wants to manufacture also gets the raw materials that they, that they need to be able to, to be able to do this. In general, also, there should be a reform of the electricity market design that goes hand in hand with addressing the price volatility that we've seen over the last year, just to preserve that security of supply that any business in, in Europe will need. Another aspect of it that, that we've seen, and we're hopefully going to get more details soon, is that there should be a speed up for investment and for financing um, for the clean tech production in Europe. That is also making Europe uh, an attractive place for businesses to be in that in that um, green transition that we see in I said it is seen as a little bit of, a, of an answer to the Inflation Reduction Act. There's a lot of work that will be done over the next few weeks and months from the European Commission with the member states to just focus on how this plan with the funding that's at the moment available, how they can bring fast solutions and actually benefit businesses now. Karen, another question I had is regarding trade disputes and some of the activity that might be going on with domestic manufacturing opportunities. And, and I'm just curious what you're seeing in Europe, because there's been a lot of activity here in the U.S. on that. You can see that as we go to a more globalized world, where still everybody protects their own interests as well, that there are some disputes and discussions ongoing that are causing a little bit of not uproar, but concerns. And she this at the moment, for example, we're looking at a carbon border adjustment mechanism that has been agreed between the European Parliament in December last year. And while this is only entering a transitional phase at the end of this year, it will still mean that businesses that are used, you know, trading with European companies might in future face higher requirements, higher costs just to get their imports into the into the European Union. I know initially it will only affect a few sectors that are particularly at risk of carbon leakage, like you know, cement, iron, steel, aluminium, electricity, hydrogen, those are, are a few examples. And initially it will only be a, a reporting requirement. 
but in the long term, if the proposals stay as, as they are, that, that will mean that companies that are working with European businesses that export into the European um, Union will have to adhere to those levies that will be part of this. It also already means in, in the shorter term, it will mean changes for, for companies that are at the moment affected by the EU emissions trading system, where that it goes hand in hand with the reform of that where fewer free allowances will be available for companies that are at the moment on, on that on that market and um, have that risk of carbon leakage covered through that. So there will be, you know, a lot of change for businesses on this on this aspect. But in theory, the carbon border adjustment mechanism should create a level playing field, not only between EU countries, but also by, with non-EU countries, and hopefully also increase the climate ambitions that are for countries outside of the EU, and and I and I know we've, we've heard talks about the the EU and the US also talking about a, a border level to China, for example, for their steel production, and, and there seems to be a, a general impact on on price and and timing to source materials for those green energy projects. Have you on the on on the US side of things? Have you seen any consequences already um, when it comes to that? That's a great question, Karen. The ongoing U.S. Department of Commerce anti-circumvention investigation on solar panel manufacturers throughout four Southeast Asian countries has resulted in the rise of cost of solar panels, has led to project delays, and has led to increased power purchase agreement prices for our corporate buyers. As we reported in our Q4 2022 Renewable Market Report, Project developers are beginning to price PPAs more confidently following the Department of Commerce's preliminary determination, but we still anticipate that solar PPA prices will stay high as module manufacturers are now paying a premium for responsibly sourced input components for those solar modules. And then with regards to other components of renewable projects, since Q4 of 2021, aluminum and steel prices have decreased by 10 and 64% respectively. Recent reductions in raw material costs are promising, but these price improvements on PPAs will likely have a lag. Potential restrictions on imports without a robust domestic supply chain that can meet existing demand would raise these prices of the critical raw materials and equipment, which further delays renewable adoption and slows down the transition to a net zero economy. However, with $180 billion in domestic manufacturing investments, along with domestic material requirements, the Inflation Reduction Act actually has the potential to transform the U.S. industrial landscape. So while it will certainly take time to shift these industries to the United States, the IRA will strengthen the domestic supply chain and reduce dependence on China in the long term. This will result in less risk of interruption due to tariffs and other geopolitical issues that have plagued the energy industry in recent years, ultimately driving down costs for commercial industrial clients. Shifting gears a bit, let's talk about this year. This year, we'll continue to help our clients navigate this ever-evolving global patchwork of environmental, social, and governance regulations and enforcement mechanisms all while helping our clients understand the reputational risk that can come with greenwashing accusations to ensure they select the decarbonization tools that work best for them. Here in the United States, the Securities and Exchange Commission is anticipated to roll out their new climate disclosure rule by the end of April, and that will require all U.S. listed companies to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions. 
Given the anticipated legal challenges and Republican backlash on the Hill, we're hearing that SEC Chair Gary Gensler is considering scaling back scope three requirements as part of that rule, which would face additional backlash from progressive stakeholders. Might not be a win-win solution there. We don't expect this to be resolved this year. However, there are also other activities happening at the Federal Trade Commission to update their guides for environmental claims this year and comments they are due in April. We're also engaged in discussions to revise the greenhouse gas protocol, which is seeking comments in mid-March. And we're also seeing a ton of activity here in the U.S. at the state level. California recently reintroduced their Climate Corporate Data Accountability Act under SB 253, which would require all companies operating in California and generating more than $1 billion in annual revenue to disclose their greenhouse gas emissions, including from their supply chain. If passed, this law would be the first in the country to require this level of public disclosure. There's a lot going on. It's a very complex and evolving landscape here in this ESG world. And there are ongoing calls to harmonize these regulatory regimes. In my opinion, we're far from having a unified standard, which increases the cost for compliance reporting for our clients. Karen, in your view, do you see this happening in 2023? And what's going on in Europe with regards to ESG? I I think that is a very good question. And I think we could probably spend uh, a whole podcast just talking about that subject and getting our our ESG advisors in in a room and, and step back and they might be able to shed some more light. It's definitely, I would echo the sense that there isn't necessarily a standard out there. Also on a European level, the European Financial Reporting Advisory Group, they have drawn up some, some reporting rules that should cover the environmental, social and governance issues for the big European countries which should then come in in the 2024 financial year. These standards have at the moment been sent to the European Commission for approval, and we should hear around middle of 2023 if they will be mandated for all European countries or not. But if they are, that would also mean that companies that are doing business in the EU would have to comply with those rules, and which might be earlier than global rules that are coming in from the International Sustainability Standards Board. I think... This is becoming a little race at the moment between countries and also organizations, just because standards aren't necessarily out there yet. What is out there, you can comply by showing willingness. And there is yeah, a lot of fragmentation at, at the moment with different requirements at different stages in, in, in different countries across the globe. I think one thing that we will see is that they all build on the similar framework with variances and, and different specific requirements, but this definitely will is at the moment impacted partially through regulations and whoever comes first, and also some key industry players which are at the forefront of driving ESG standards and then expecting people in their supply chains to adapt to similar standards. So as there is one to watch, definitely. I think we will see a huge increase in ESG advisors over the next few years, that will help customers navigate this this jungle, and it will definitely be a challenge to stay on top of on top of it. Thanks, Karen. I wholeheartedly agree with that sentiment. There are there any other policies that you'll be watching in twenty twenty three in Europe that you'd like to share with our listeners here today? I mean, at the moment, things that are coming up 
imminently. As I said, we're watching very closely the, the consultation that's out at the moment for the electricity market reform and what will that mean for the for the markets in future. I said the clear output and how it will trickle down into national law of that industrial green deal and also any of the other initiatives that were already started off next year, you know, like that Repower EU, just what clear targets and actions will come out of those, what advantages they could give to our clients and what, what benefits if, if they're taken that. Those are the things that we're monitoring at the moment. And we would definitely encourage people that are looking into renewable projects at the moment to, to keep on close eye on, on how their own national um, regulators will, will impact any of the EU regulations that were put out. That's great advice, Karen. Thank you. Well, Karen, thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for our listeners for tuning in. We will see you next time at The Green Mic. Find Green Mic on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. 